Security and Cyber Threat Intelligence podcast powered by ReliQuest. My name is Nicole, and I am joined by my colleagues Rick, Ivan, and Andrew. And today we are in sunny Florida at the ReliQuest office. How are you guys doing? Are you enjoying the weather? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, I live here, so <laughs> I always enjoy it. It's much better than the uh, the weather that awaits us in Dallas when we return on Friday. 10% chance of snow. We will see. I Doom. will be excited. Doom is the snow a little bit, though. Just a little bit. I like just just a light. No snow, like no snow shovels or anything like that needed. That's <laughs> perfect. Just enough to have like the, the ambiance. Not a fan of us losing the power grid for an entire week. Snow. <sighs> That's the only thing that I worry about. And having like enough firewood. I've never <laughs> hoarded firewood more in my life than in Texas. But... <laughs> it's been a busy week in CTI as per usual. There's a lot of stuff going on. The FBI and CISA released a joint advisory to announce in, that an Iranian state-sponsored APT targeted a federal civilian executive branch organization with XM rig crypto mining malware. The attackers were able to exploit a VMware Horizon server using a Log4j exploit. The vulnerability that just keeps on giving one year later. And other vulnerability news, the November Patch Tuesday updates caused Kerberos authentication issues um, impacting both client and server platforms and enterprise environments. Uh, there was a report that came out today actually that these issues have been fixed and there has been other a few other bugs that were caused by the November Patch Tuesday updates that have been fixed. One other that just came out today from CISA was a new one on Hive ransomware as well, which just came today being Thursday when we're recording it. So that's another one to check out, which will have the typical TTPs, technical details uh, for Hive, which is one of the more prolific groups that we see uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another another group that is staying just as active. It's one of those groups that I wasn't sure if they were going to stay active through the end of the year as groups come and go, but this group has stayed consistently active throughout the year, so definitely great to have more information about that group. So moving on to our first topic this week, we are going to talk about an article. It actually came out at the beginning of the month. It was on November 8th by Mandiant, and it was about APT29 and a phishing campaign that took place earlier this year. And APT29, if you're not familiar, AKA Cozy Bear, AKA Nobelium, AKA insert industry name, there's probably a lot more. This group targeted a diplomatic, a European diplomatic entity um, in what appears to be a politically motivated cyber espionage attack. Ivan, could you provide an overview of the techniques used in this campaign? Sure, so uh, in this campaign, APT29, they abused the Windows credential roaming feature so this is a feature that allows certificates and credentials to roam with uh, with users, and it basically removes the need for multiple certificates within computers and reduces the certificate managing overhead. And it does this by uh, using Active Directory Active Directory duplication. And APT29 they abused this feature by sending LDAP queries with unusual properties against the victims' uh, Active Directory systems, and that the LDAP query had one attribute that was used to access storage location within an encrypted user's script. Uh, this, the, the LDAP query was used to, it had one attribute that was used to access a storage location within encrypted user's credential token. And uh, this was one of the tokens that, we used, that was used for roaming. 
So the behavior that they exploit, it basically exploited a vulnerability, an arbitrary file write vulnerability, CVE 2022-30170, which led to remote code execution. And thankfully, there's a patch available for this vulnerability that was released in September 2022. And it's highly recommended that users apply that patch if they haven't already done that. And Rick, do you have any insider recommendations from security operations slash defender point of view? Just when these patches come out, you need to apply them. This one, vulnerability was identified on 12 September, and then the CVE was assigned on the 13th, and the advisory came out on the 13th as well. But we know threat actors, in particular Chinese threat actors, hop on vulnerabilities and start tooling up You know, within hours. So again, yeah. vulnerability management, we talk about it all the time. You'd be on a hamster wheel of vulnerability management and trying to fix this stuff, but you got to prioritize. And certainly, remote code execution is one that bumps it up on the prioritization list. Yeah, for sure. Um, and vulnerability intelligence, I know it's something that we have here. It definitely helps with prioritization, specifically for identifying, you know, yes, it's a remote code execution. Yes, it has a high CVSS score, but is there a working POC? Is there, you know, dark web chatter, like all these things play into that prioritization because there's a lot of times where vulnerabilities come out and they're not actually like, it's very low probability that it's actually going to be exploitable. So mm -hmm. definitely agree with you on that aspect. There has to be some level of prioritization. Moving into our next topic, um, getting into ransomware. There's a report that Russian hacktivists have infected multiple Ukrainian organizations with a new ransomware called Somnia. The Computer Emergency Response Team of Ukraine, or CERT-UA if you know them that way, attributed the attacks to the group known as From Russia with Love. Ivan, can you give us a quick overview of this group? Yeah, so there's not a ton of information out there, but the From Russia with Love group, they're also known as Z-Team, and uh, they had a Telegram channel where they announced the creation of the Somnia ransomware and they claim to have conducted attacks on uh, tank producers within Ukraine. And they are considered to be a hacktivist group, which means that they are motivated by political reasons. And they are attempting to infect as many organizations in Ukraine as they can with this new ransomware because they want to encrypt systems and render them un unoperable. But they seem to be very motivated and they have released multiple versions of the Somnia ransomware so far. And Andrew, could you give us like an overview of like the specific TTT mm. used by the group during these attacks? Definitely, yeah. Um, so the fun part about these TTPs is that they're actually rather simple and effective. For instance, it looks like they begin um, with initial access by having the user go to um, a poison page as a fake copy of advanced IP scanner, which is a pretty common uh, freeware, grayware scanner, which when downloaded actually has Vidar malware in it, which is interesting because it's probably SUE poisoning, which we're seeing a lot with other malware, such as Gookkit and Sockgoolish. Vidar, it's info stealer, so that ends up stealing the Telegram session data. And then from there, it takes over the user's Telegram account. Once the Telegram account is compromised, they'll try to gain the VPN info, credentials. And if the VPN is of MFA, they're going to log in, gain initial access through that. And then immediately, they're going to use a tool known as NetScan, do a basic enumeration, see what the environment looks like, I'll use our clone to copy data, exfil it. And then for the persistence mechanisms, we're looking at uh, persistence MMC2, we're looking at them dropping any desk, dropping a cold strike, very common. A C2 framework we see with these reactors move ladders throughout the environment, which Cold Strike does very, very effectively. 
And of course, once again, in position, they'll start dropping that ransomware. The interesting part about this ransomware too is that they went through the trouble of removing the decryptor and they increased the encryption of, um, capability from a, a triple DES to AS256. So very destructive going forward, just destroying the environment. Again, the TTPs are extraordinarily simple, almost kind of noobish, which kind of makes sense being hacktivists of kind of seeing telegram channels where they're just kind of passing basic tactics to each other or basic cobalt strike defaults to each other to just run an environment. So that yeah. was going to be my next question. I'm assuming there's, you know, there's probably in this type of ideologically motivated attack, there's not going to be any type of decryptor, any way for, you know, victims to be able to reach out. So it should be treated like a wiper. Really interesting that they're using Telegram. I guess, I mean, I guess in the U.S., I don't think Telegram as is popular, but maybe potentially in like other countries it could be more popular. So mm. I thought that was really interesting to use Telegram as like a part of the attack lifecycle. It's probably because there's it's very much more popular in that region, but that's even still a huge red flag for like organizations. Definitely a rely quest. We definitely encourage customers not to have these other third-party kind of communication apps, WhatsApp, Telegram, the like. Because for one, they could be used for C2. The API is super customizable. We have hunts built out to look for that exact thing. So that's a huge thing going to those organizations of, hey, why is Telegram even on your host? So like, what's going on there? And of course, with VPN, enabling MFA on your VPNs, any public sign-in portals, and make sure that uh, MFAs not push because you know, you'll be at risk for MFA fatigue. So it's true. It's funny how yeah. over time we have yeah. to like how we have to continuously update our multi-factor yes. recommendations. Yes. You're like, use multi-factor, but not with text messages. <laughs> no SMS. <laughs> no. no SMS. Now don't use push, use this. So moving on to our last topic, mm. we're going to be talking up two topics in relation to LockBit ransomware group. First, there are reports that a LockBit affiliate is using a matey bot malware in their attacks. Ivan, is this a new malware or is... Has this been around? It is not new. Emma but is it's it is a malware, it's a malware that was first first discovered around 2018, and it's basically used to steal information, perform reconnaissance, and it can also be used to install other types of malware. Emma but it was used to deliver a lot of ransomware in the past, such as GetCrab and other types of malware, such as remote co, uh, sorry, remote access trojans like the Flot Amy by the threat group TA505. So it's very much not a new tool, and it's likely that many threat actors will continue using it in the future to deliver attacks and other types of malware. Not a new tool, like why reinvent the wheel? Yes. You know, if actors can just repurpose existing stuff, obviously they live off the land internally uh, as well, so. Yeah, we definitely see it all the time. It's kind of interesting just as a side, I'm sorry, as a side thing, that often threat actors will keep reusing the same tools or even the same malware over and over again. They might repurpose one from another, like even like QBot, the recent QBot resurgence. QBot's been around for a long time, but this all of a sudden now they've repurposed it, even made it a little better, and have redeployed it. You see it all the time. You even see with Emotet being used to drop Cold Strike. You see Ice AD being used to drop its own payloads and then drop ransomware. So very common tactic for that yeah. reason. I would assume from like a detection standpoint, something that's been around for a long time has more detection capabilities. But I guess like what you're saying is they alter it a little, yep, just a little absolutely. bit so I, that... It, they can continuously use it. I know, yeah, for instance, for QBot, they uh, did a lot of redesign on it, especially on its ability to be modular, so it made it even harder to detect. Always so keep, with the modular malware. Yeah, so they keep updating, keep changing it as a whole. Well, Andrew, could you give us a little more information about these attacks using the Amadi mm-hmm. bot? 
Definitely. So uh, initial access vector is going to be a classic. It's going to be via phishing. Usually it's a job application, copyright infringement. They'll get the user to click on a, a Word document of uh, malicious VPN macros, which interesting enough are now deblocked by default in Microsoft. So it's kind of interesting to see what's going on there. It's interesting there because yeah. Microsoft announced they were going to block it. Yeah. Then they blocked it. Then they unblocked it. Oh, and right. now that it's blocked again, which... Right. I'm glad they, I mean, they should be blocked by default, but yeah, it's an interesting saga in that one over the past, what, five, four months? I can't remember yeah, the exact time Yeah, it's been a back and forth thing. It's been a whole drama. But even then, there's a way around the, the macro block, apparently, with certain file paths, because uh, Emotet will do this now. Uh, they'll put in the banner, when you open the file, uh, hey, drop your file on this file path, and then you get to open it, and you get to have me, yay! Oh, I didn't and, realize that. Oh, yeah, it's very clever, very clever. They, they, how they figured out how to go around the, the macro block. So it's probably, I bet that's probably just happening here. I didn't see it all right in the articles, but probably what's happening, at least I'd hope. And then from there, uh, we see another popular tactic being used to drop a link file right away. Again, we see a huge rise with link files being used to drop malicious payloads. Link file, of course, grab uh, more than malicious pay remotely to drop the MIDI bot. MIDI bot would then be used kind of like almost a cold strike, like a C2. It's gonna, but it won't be as robust or as complex. It's gonna just kind of hang there and say, hey, here's your host profile, I'm in. What do you want me to do? What's your payload you want to give to me? Course director, lockbit's gonna be like, cool, you're in. Here's your payload. The payload to ingress in is gonna be your PowerShell script or it's gonna be executable. In some articles, they'll have some names for it, but I know one of the executables is um, lbb.exe, for instance. They'll drop that script, they'll drop in some temp directories, they'll it'll compile together, and then from there, it'll begin encrypting pretty quickly, obviously. And again, it's part of the whole common trend of one malware spawning ransomware eventually. Even like AdWords been seen doing this like a Chrome loader and the like. So it's just an interesting little tactic that threaters are using nowadays. Yeah, I would say my recommendation, my action item from this for mm -hmm. listeners is really make sure if you're creating a phishing awareness campaign, mm -hmm. make sure it includes contact forms from your websites, mm -hmm. specifically if it's going to have any type of job application attachment or DMCA copyright infringement and where it has a specific attachment. Always look out for those specifically. Make sure that you vet them before anyone tries to open them. Moving on, another topic, still on the topic of LockBit. And again, LockBit is known to use the fake copyright infringement mm -hmm. lures, so I was going to mention that as well. This is not new. This is something that they continuously mm -hmm. have been doing throughout the year and they will probably continue doing. One thing on the, the DMCA takedowns, I used to work in higher education. Actually, my last practitioner role as not a CISO, but someone that actually does the work in the trenches versus just kind of helps coordinate the strategy and stuff, was in higher education. And we used to get DMCA notices all the time from the, the student network with students downloading stuff, but there would be malicious content then. And I mean, that was like 10 years ago. I had completely forgotten about that, but yeah, it's not necessarily a new nope. technique at all. And we used to hate those, those notices. We'd get dosed by them. Um, we ended up turning on like rate limiting stuff to try to make the, <laughs> the students' experience so painful when trying to download stuff, they would just give up and, and not do it. But yeah, I just brought back flashbacks of many, many years ago of seeing that type of initial access attempt. Having been on a college network before, I feel like I knew it. Like I knew it was all along. It was my <laughs> team, team making my life hard. I mean, yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it in terms of like the tactics, you know, whatever gets the user to panic or 
frustrated or oh I gotta do this right away so if it works it works and even a decade later still is working yeah oh and then the other frustrating thing about that is I've been on the other side where I've actually sent DMCA notices that are legitimate yep so you also have to know there's a op- obviously the opportunity that you're actually going to get a legitimate DMCA notice mm-hmm. also in just educating yourself I guess where those mm-hmm. notices would come from what mm-hmm. do they look like what is involved and what's not involved but the other lockbit topic I wanted to discuss because I thought it was really interesting, mm. an alleged member or affiliate of mm. the lockbit organization was arrested last week in Canada. There were eight computers, 32 external hard drives, two firearms, and 400,000 Canadian dollars worth of cryptocurrency. They mm. were seized by law enforcement. The interesting part of this story is that law enforcement said that this was the result of a two and a half year investigation. So does this mean that this is a longtime affiliate or has law enforcement just been waiting for an affiliate or someone in Lockbit to mess up and you know this is the guy? Well, I just want to get your guys' general thoughts on this. I know definitely for a fact the FBI and the like, the FBI and the like uh, spend years and years as long as they take to track down people like. So these investigations take a long time because of barriers, international barriers, and just gathering data. But for a fact, I know uh, federal agencies will take their sweet time to catch you, and they have all the time in the world. They just got to wait for you to mess up. So you think it was it was the case of just waiting for someone Absolutely. to mess up? Absolutely. It was up. probably lots of intel. Like, we, we know that these are the people, here's their usernames, it's over time just getting a little by little intel because you know as you know digital shadows is a great job of doing is there's always a little piece of data of our personal lives out there and these rental actors they're humans they're they have an instagram right they probably have socials and a little by little fbi agents or the like are gathering that correlating it to them it just takes a long time we, we were talking about earlier in an internal meeting about the, the concept of intel gain loss and I'm not certain if that was a factor here, but there could be a collection capability that law enforcement has. They see a threat actor is going to make a change or something mm-hmm. like that, so they go ahead and decide to essentially burn that collection capability so that they can get access to you know 32 external hard drives from a mm-hmm. Lockbit affiliate or Lockbit Lockbit primary Lockbit actual yes. um, would be a, you know a really good treasure trove Absolutely. for other investigations. So I think there's mm-hmm. investigations take time. There's also like, when do you want to burn a collection capability that that goes into the mix there? Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know, when you think about Lockbit, they probably have been monitoring them for two years and a half, but I'm pretty sure that since July of 2021, which is when Lockbit 2.0 came out, mm-hmm. and Lockbit suddenly becomes the leader in the ransomware threat landscape, that's probably when they begin to speak up the investigation and begin to, mm. you know, get a little more serious. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that eventually it led to an arrest. I think it's kind of like what Rick said. They probably have known who this person was for a little while, but they were, you know, just keeping this person there so they could keep getting intel on them. And then eventually maybe they realized that something was about to happen and then they decided to pull the plug and, get you know, arrest this person. But I won't be surprised if this is just the beginning and it could lead to more arrests yeah. within Lockbit affiliates or operators within the next few years. In months or years. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because when I see this, I immediately think, well, what is the impact of this? If someone asks us, oh, what do you think is going to happen? Typically, if it's just an affiliate, I mean, we see, you know, hackers and, and cyber criminals get arrested every day, and it's usually not that big of a deal. The, the group, the cyber criminal organization, continues moving on. But because it's a two and a half year investigation and because of the amount of information, it is 
realistically possible that this could be a key member or someone who has a lot of information. So it could lead to more arrests, but you know, most likely in the you know short term future, we're going to see Blockbit continue moving on with their normal ransomware operations. Yeah, but even the unfortunate like even with Emotet, we've seen you know where at one time they thought they destroyed Emotet and you know arrested dozens and dozens of people around the world. But as long as there's that payload, that original code for it, and it works, someone will grab it. But also, the a flip hand, uh, other hand of things, with all that data they grabbed, it'll be interesting to see if there will be more arrests, at least taking down this organization for a little bit. TrickBot's another one. If we remember back to right before the elections, the previous presidential elections, both Microsoft and Cyber Command did various kind of takedown efforts against TrickBot. Mm. TrickBot went down. Emotet actually went up in Q1 of the following year. And then by summer, TrickBot was back. Mm. So I always... I have some folks may have seen this presentation, but I have a presentation I call Cybercrime Finds a Way. And I basically just kind of update the latest trends and stuff. But it's just like Jurassic Park, right? You know, life finds a way. (laughs) Cybercrime is going to find a way to persist. It's like water flowing. And it's just going to, these types of arrests are great. I enjoy them. Um, You know, but it is like whack a mole, right? But they're building cases, building evidence. It it also kind of, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when, when law enforcement will take over admin on a, a forum or a marketplace like they did with Hansa and Alphabay was was that five years ago now? Something along those lines where they basically took down Alphabay, all the buyers and sellers went to Hansa, law enforcement already owned that, Dutch National Police led this effort, and then they got three weeks of collection there and then they took Hansa down. And then what you'll see when these sites go down, and we saw this with raid forums, right? When raid forums went down, the FBI didn't do the notice on that for quite some time, and then in the forums, the criminals were all talking about, hey, is this a is this an exit scam? Is it <laughs> law enforcement? So you, you will always see the criminals kind of, interesting to follow the criminal reactions when these types of things happen as well. And when new forums pop up, everyone's always paranoid. Is this a honeypot? Yes. I don't want to go on it. Let me give it some time. So I see that as well. So we have a lot of great blogs this month, this week, really. Let's see. We have one, the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. It's taking place from November 20th to December 20th. I think the opening events have already started taking place. We have a blog on that, just just discussing the potential threats to that. One thing just to call out on that, our analyst, uh, Stefano, who who wrote that, is Italian, as you would imagine. So, Steph, if you're listening to this, again, sorry for two years in a row that Italia and the Azzurri uh, will not be uh, making an appearance. (laughs) I, I support Italy and the U.S., so at least I have the U.S. to fall back on. And we also just published today, we published a uh, Keeping One Step Ahead of Black Friday Cyber Threats. Mm. It's another great blog to read ahead of all of the Black Friday excitement next week. And I believe there's a webinar, Rick. Yeah, uh, Brandon and I, Brandon runs the Threat Hunt team at ReliQuest. Really great dude. Um, Enjoyed the webinar. But Chris Morgan, Brandon and I recorded that. Well, it was actually a live webinar that we did. It would have been done on Thursday now, but you'll be able to check that one out. And it's cool because, you know, we have the Intel perspective. We have a kind of security leader perspective from my side. But then we have, like, you know, stories from the field, from ReliQuest and the threat hunting activities that were the, that the threat hunt 
team does with our customers. So, and, and today with Andrew on is, is another good example, right? We're, we're starting to see our two teams work. In fact, that's why we're in, in Tampa this week is for a ton of cross training. And we're doing the same thing in London and Dublin. So it'll be good news for our listeners on Shadow Talk. We're going to have more threat hunt and detection kind of content and conversations coming on. And then for both customers, we're going to be starting to join that stuff up. So there should be good value there. So stay tuned for more. Yeah, I'm definitely always fascinated about what you guys do and like, and it's been just an awesome week having you guys here and collaborating, see what the external, all the external intelligence kind of looks like and sharing what we know about threat hunting. And it's just been awesome. Wish you guys could stay longer. Hope you guys come back soon. I have a feeling we will be. Awesome. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. And if there's anything you guys as listeners that you're really enjoying as, you know, as we transition and we bring on more threat hunters, please let us know so we can always, you know, bring more of what you enjoy listening to. So that's pretty much it this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.